And now I get the pleasure of introducing our guest speaker, Lori Guineer. Uh, Lori Guineer is a pastor, speaker, and author. She is currently part of the pastoral ministry team of God Touch Milwaukee. Um, she is a speaker at women's conferences, retreats, and church services throughout Wisconsin and Upper Michigan. Uh, together with her husband, Rick, uh, they teach marriage seminars, partnering with churches to help them discover health and growth. Uh, she is also the author of Can't See the Wind, This Pyramid, and Reflections from the Sunrise, three books that help people draw closer to God. Portview, let's uh, welcome Lori Guineer. Thank you, thank you. I want to point out my handsome husband over here, wave at them. He loves to be the center of attention. That's a lie. That's the only lie I'll tell you today. I'm just so delighted to be here. You know, you walk in the sanctuary, and what do you see up here? It don't get any better than that, Pastor. It just don't. Where I come from, the way we open every service is this. Are you with me? God is good. And all the time... And then we do it two times. God is good. And all the time. Amen. Now I'm at home. You know what? I look at this worship team. First of all, when you left the platform, I'm thinking, oh, no, he's going to throw up. (laughs) Been in church ministry for a long time, so you know, you think, oh, no. I thank God there was no emergency. Yeah. Amen. But I look at worship team here this morning, and I see a multi-generational worship team. That's awesome. Our, you know, I, I taught at some leadership conferences, and one of the sessions I had to do is building a multicultural church. Not that I've necessarily done that, but they thought I would be okay at that. So one of the things I talked about was how your platform needs to represent your community. Your platform, whether by design or whoever had instrument talents, vocal talents, I don't know. But your platform represents your community, so kudos. Um, The first time I was here, 2015 maybe, whenever the sanctuary was being done and we were out there, then the next time we were in here and I was like, oh, this is what they were doing. And now they invited me back four years later, and I'm like, it's so good to be back here. We've been back here for football games and all kinds of things, right? Yeah, we love Portview. Um, We're here today to honor your leaders, to honor Pastor Mark, Pastor Suzanne, and Pastor Mitch. Where is he? There he is, and his wife Amy. Is she, like, out there somewhere? And Amy. So together we honor you today. I also want to honor the leadership of this church because I truly believe that God blesses you and blesses this church because you bless your leaders. It's not that way everywhere. However, what I'm going to be talking about later is how unified we've come in the last year and a half in our churches. I was talking to our network uh, superintendent this last week. And one of the comments that he made to me was, after coming through all of this mess, and y'all know what I'm talking about, coming through all this, 
our leaders are more unified than they've ever been before. And he's probably my age, so we've been around a while. Never seen our leadership that united. That means our churches are too. Doesn't mean we don't struggle, but we are united. Congregation, I, you know, I, I hope that it doesn't surprise you when I say this next thing. Your pastor's dedication is, first of all, to God. And then it's to their family. And then it's to the congregation. And once in a while, correct me, pastors, if I'm wrong, sometimes it feels like they're going, hmm, because that's just life. But at the end of the day, their dedication is to God, to their spouses, their families, and then to the congregation. You're better because of it. I have to tell you that occasionally I get people who are moving and, you know, people move around a lot. And Port Washington is an area that people enjoy being or the surrounding areas. And anytime somebody says to me, so do you know any good churches up there? I always tell them, just go to Portview. It'll solve all your problems. They're normal people. They're just real people. No phony baloney here. They love God. They love each other. And this is the first time we've been here without Gary and Debbie. So Gary and Debbie, if y'all are watching, they're probably not. They're probably driving. But we miss you. Anyway, what I want to share with you for the next few minutes here this morning is about the challenges that we have been greeted with the last year and a half or so. And pastoring through it has been a little different. So in coming through it, have we become different or have we become better through the challenges? I started using a, what I call a Ganeerism a number of years ago, and the word is obstertunity. It's when we're faced with a seeming obstacle and we recognize that in God's economy, it's really an opportunity. So we have had a lot of opportunities the last year and a half. Coming to the back end of COVID, at least we kind of hope we are. Are we better or are we just different? When asking a question like that, you have to be able to measure it by something, right? So how do we measure that? Are we better or are we different? <clears throat> what I did is I went on your website and I looked at your graphic. It's probably up on the screen. There it is. Looks a little fuzzy, but that's your graphic. That's port view. Worship is in the center. Growing and connecting and serving and reaching is around the heart that worships. Your purposes. There's a reason I'm going through this. You probably all you know this stuff. Hopefully you've memorized it. Your purpose is because we care. We worship God with our lives. We connect authentically with people in God's family. We reach seekers. We grow in Christ-likeness. And we serve passionately with the love of Jesus. And then it goes on and it talks about your values. That the Bible is your foundation. In a culture of equipping, there's a culture of equipping here at Portview. That transparency builds trust. You get that. In spirit, you value being spirit-directed. And that walking with Jesus should be risky, and it is risky. 
and in celebrating what God is doing. And then the two words that I want you to let sit on your shoulder for the rest of the time I'm talking today is that you're forward-focused. You're forward-focused. Just keep that right there. In our recent past, we hope it's our past, we continue to look forward with our eyeball on our rearview mirror, and hopefully that past gets further and further away. But we continue to stay forward-focused. So are we better after coming through COVID or hopefully coming through? Or are we just different? What have we changed? What have we focused on? I kind of like statistics, and I know statistics are kind of a weird thing. It depends on who does the, 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 uh, the little test, who, do, who puts all this stuff together. But I read something this week, and because I'm the one with the microphone, you're going to like my statistics. It said that 85% of churchgoers say that their church live-streamed worship services. Why is that significant? Because that was a whole new thing for a lot of people. I mean, it's not a new thing to you. Your service has been online, yeah? Did you live stream or did you record and then put up? Okay, excellent. Even in the most technically difficult churches, they learned how to do something, live stream or record or something. No matter how we might hate the fact that technology has taken over our lives, God is using it. I was an interim pastor right when COVID hit through summer last year. Very small church in Wauwatosa. In that tiny congregation, most of them older. COVID hits. Not safe for us to be in the building because we didn't understand a lot of things then. We had to learn how to do Yay, Facebook live stream. Yay, Zoom. But I had a bunch of people, and not a bunch, there was not a lot, who had no clue when I said Zoom. Many of them had no clue what I meant when I said Facebook live stream. But you know what? They found people to show them how to do that so that they could, just so that they could be together on Sunday morning, just so that they could be together for a Bible study. They did it. 52% offered online Bible studies for adults. And many offered them for kids. They did it. 39% offered outdoor services and 30% offered drive-in worship services. I don't know if you guys did a combination of those kind of things, if you tried them or whatever you did, I don't know. But I have a pastor friend who's right down the road from us very small congregation. And he said, he said, Lori, Lori, take a look at what we're doing on Sunday morning. Because he knew I couldn't be there. So I did. I went back and I watched their live stream. Little tiny church. They had their little sound, their little, their little um, uh, equipment out underneath the overhang and their keyboard and one person leading worship. And their people were in the parking lot. And they're a very loud congregation generally with, amen, praise God, blah, blah, okay? They're beeping their horns like crazy every time the pastor said something they thought was awesome. It was so much fun. Most of our AG churches offered some variation of those things. 
because we stayed forward focused. We stayed focused on why God has put us here in the first place. That is what your leadership did, and that is what they are still doing, is staying forward focused. These men and women of God did just that. And because of that, you're still here. There are some churches that aren't anymore, or they have just a handful of people that are there. Our AG churches have fared very well in our state, but that's not true of some other churches. We think back for just a moment to the Israelites and all that they went through. They were oppressed, unlike anything that you and I could ever imagine, even when we go through the worst of times. They were in captivity. They were slaves in every sense of the word. They were truly oppressed. Yet in Exodus 1.12, what does it say? But the more they were oppressed, the more they multiplied and spread. Let that sink in a second. The more they were oppressed, the more they multiplied and they spread. All throughout captivity. That's a godly principle. That's a principle that we're seeing today in the church. The more that we experienced oppression, obstacles, difficult times, the church is alive and well today, and the church has grown. Somebody say amen. Jesus is still here. He hadn't left the house. The church is alive, and if you look, at how many people watched live streams and recorded messages? I know you did that. I remember looking at the first live stream we did, and I went, holy cow, if we had all those people in church in the morning, we'd have to put up chairs outside. You know what that did? It turned all of our churches into international churches. Because we had people everywhere, people that would never tone in, people that would never give a care, about Jesus, now we're in a position where they were questioning everything that was going on around them. Thank God that this church has never lost its forward focus. God has taken obstacles and created opportunities. Remember in Genesis and all that Joseph had gone through? I'm not going to go through that whole thing. It's just too long. But all of what he had gone through, he suffered some of it by his own doing, others by things that others had done to him. He was accused of things he never did, wound up in prison. But all of that time that all of that was going on, because Joseph was not really ready for where God wanted to take him moving forward. It was not time. What did Joseph say? When he gets together with his brothers, you know the whole story. If you don't, you need to go home and read it. But when he's back together with his brothers, everything's great. Well, then dad dies. And now dad has died, and the brothers are scared because now that he doesn't have to honor dad anymore, that he's not going to honor them any longer either. And they were scared. And legitimately so. He was in a position to destroy them. What did Joseph say? You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. 
Again, a clear picture of God taking the worst circumstances and using them for what? To save many lives. The church is alive. The church is growing. We have lost a lot of people to COVID. Oh, yes, we did. I lost count a long time ago. I know this church has experienced a fair amount more recently than, right? But we've all experienced it. We've all gone through it. Do we grieve that? Yeah, we do. It was a horrible thing to go through. But I believe that even as hard as it's been, more people have seen and heard the gospel than any other time. And that the majority of us came through it with an opportunity to win souls through the cyber church that we've had. And thank God people have come back into the house of God. I remember years ago when we first offering online services or recorded services started to be a thing. There was people in my generation, I own up to it, in my generation who said, no, 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 you can't do that. Because if you do that, people will just sit on the couch and they just won't come to God's church. They'll just be happy sitting on their couch. Well, when God took this obstacle and turned it into an opportunity, there was people that drew closer to God through a pandemic. There are people that began to seek God during a pandemic. Another interesting statistic is the majority of church growers say church goers say that they grew closer to God during the pandemic. And I don't think it was all foxhole conversions, though there were probably some. But there was a lot of people sitting on their couches, in their recliners, in their yards, wherever they could have a phone in their hand because they were concerned and they didn't know what was next. And some may still be in that situation today. And then they heard about what Jesus is doing. And they looked and they listened to Portview's messages online. And I listened to some of them. They're really good. So if you're not here on a Sunday morning, y'all need to look at what was preached. But as people were so far away from anything normal, they were able to tune in because times were so uncertain. And they were able to hear from your pastors, from those of us that are preaching the word, that Jesus is still alive and that Jesus is reaching out to people, that they do not have to fear. But God says, I promise I would never leave you and forsake you. Jesus is alive and saying, keep your eyes on me and I will never leave you. Jesus is alive and that's a reason to rejoice. So thank you, pastors, for keeping your forward focus always from day one. Stir the pot a little bit here. Sorry. 86% of churchgoers say that they agree. Wait, start over. Back up. 86% of churchgoers agree that they are proud of how their church has responded during the COVID-19 pandemic. That's kind of big, I think. Most pastors had support from an overwhelming majority of their church goers. Then throw the vaccine in the mix. 
I'm not here to advocate vaccines, and I'm not an anti-vaxxer. We're not talking about that. I don't much care what you think about that. Sorry if that sounds crude. But if we allow those things to shift our focus away from what God has called us to do, we're missing it. And I believe there's far too many places, and I don't know if that's the case here. We've not talked about that. But there are many churches that are fighting big battles about that. But the pastors have stayed forward-focused and refused to jump on the bandwagon. We need to follow that lead. And I say we because that includes me. I'm not saying y'all are on that bandwagon. I'm saying we. We all have friends outside of here as well. Have we shifted our focus? Have we allowed those things to take our focus away from what God has called us to do. I know pastors have worked hard to refocus their people. See, we can't, we can't focus well on what's important to us. We think we're multitaskers. We can think about many things. And we can be on many bandwagons at the same time. We're not really multitaskers. We just learn to jump around a lot. When we were in Mexico a number of years ago, my husband was on the beach, started out reading the book, and pretty soon he was, I was on a tube in the ocean. Oh, it was so peaceful. And I had the waves, and oh, you know, right? There's a mountain over there, and it just caught my attention. And I stared at that mountain, and I got lost in the mountain until finally I turned my head back and realized he's, way down there, and I had drifted this far. And I had to work like the Dickens to get back. Didn't help to scream because he was on the beach. Couldn't have heard me had he been wide awake. My whole point in telling that story is when we take our focus, take our focus off of what's important, we drift. We cannot take our focus away from what God has called us to do. And being forward-focused, what does that mean? I know your leadership team well enough to know that they are focused clearly on the things that matter to God. When we, when we look at the word, we see what matters most to Jesus. He took 12 men and he rocked the world with 12 men, 12 people. And then when he left, this is a, a Ganeer paraphrase, when Jesus left, he had this conversation with his disciples. And he said to them, I'm going to be going away. And when I leave, it's actually going to be good for you. And they were freaking out. Ah, what do you mean? How can it possibly be good for us? Jesus, we've only been with you for three years. And like I said, it's a paraphrase. And Jesus came back and he said, no, 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 you don't understand. Because if I leave, my father is going to send my spirit to live inside of that you would do the work, greater things than these, Jesus said, than I would do. So what are those things? What are the things that matter to him? I'm going to kind of quickly blow through a couple of, of scriptures here. Parable of the lost sheep, Luke 15. Now the tax collectors and sinners were gathering around to hear Jesus, but the Pharisees, teachers of the law, muttered, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. 
If people, if people criticize you for doing that, smile. We can't have a fact on people if we don't spend time with them. Then Jesus told them this parable. Suppose one has a hundred sheep and he loses one. Doesn't he leave the 99 in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and he goes home. Then he calls his friends and neighbors to gather and says, rejoice with me. I have found my lost sheep. I tell you, in the same way, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner that repents, over the 99 righteous persons who don't need to repent. See, the cost is too great. The cost was too great to not go after the lost. The cost was too great, and I believe by Jesus telling these three stories back to back, he wanted to make it clear to us what was important. Because lost matter to Jesus. Then he goes on to the parable of the coin. And I was thinking about this as I'm writing this. We walk past the nickel on the ground to go, eh, it's only a nickel. And we keep going. Coins don't mean to us quite what they used to, right? I remember being a kid and, whoa, I found a penny. Stick it in my pocket. Parable. Suppose a woman has ten silver coins and she loses one. Doesn't she light a lamp and she sweeps the house and she searches carefully until she finds it? And when she finds it, she calls her friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me, I have found my lost coin. In the same way, I tell you, there's rejoicing in the presence of the angels over one sinner who repents because lost people matter to God. The last one is parable, the, the parable of the lost son. And I know you know this. I know you know this. But while we're reading this, I want you to think for just a moment of someone in your life, maybe somebody that you love that doesn't know Jesus. I want you to think of that neighbor that you know that doesn't know him. Maybe he doesn't even care. I want you to think about that coworker, whoever that may be. Keep them in your mind when you listen about the parable of the lost son. Jesus continued and he said there was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to the father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. That always blew my mind, Pastor. Because me? I'd go, no. You're going to just have to wait. But nonetheless, he divided between them. Not long after that, the younger son got got together all of he had, and he set off for a distant country, and there he squandered all of his wealth in well living. And after he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in the whole land, the whole country, excuse me, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to the fields to feed the pigs. He longed to fill his own stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, because, but no one would give him anything. When he finally came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have food to spare, and here I am starving to death. I will set out, and I will go back to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. 
So he got up and he went to his father. I want you to notice the attitude here. He didn't come to the end of himself, the end of his resources, the end of his stuff, and say, I'll just go back to my dad. He's got lots more, and I'll make up a story. Didn't do that. His heart was broken. He realized what he had done. He was willing to be a servant to his dad. And then it says, but while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and filled with what, and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son and he threw his arms around him and he kissed him. The father was a long way off. That meant he had been watching for him. It meant he didn't chase him. He didn't go after him. He didn't solve his problem. He waited for God to do what only God could do and capture his heart and bring him to that place of redemption. Bring him to that place where he knew he was in a hot mess and without Jesus, he didn't have nothing. That's the attitude with which. And when that father saw him and he went running down that pathway and he grabbed him around the neck and he hugged him and he kissed him, and the son said, Father, I've sinned against you and I've sinned. I have, I have sinned against heaven and sinned against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. What does a dad say? Well, yeah, there's that. No, he didn't say that. Well, I'm not sure I should trust you this time. He didn't say that. He saw something different in his boy when he came back. He saw something different, and his dad never even says anything to him. What does his dad say? He says, quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. He didn't say, just pick one of those robes off the thing and bring it out here. He said, put a ring on his finger, and for heaven's sake, go kill a fattened calf. We're going to have a party because my boy has come home. And they began to celebrate. Later, the father said to the brother, which is a whole other message, this brother of yours was dead. Now he's alive. He was lost, and now he's found. So going back to the original question, do I care about the stuff that matters to God? Or am I selfishly wrapped up in other stuff? I believe your pastor's heart is to keep you focused on what matters to God. I believe that. I know these people. I know their focus. I know their love for God. I know their love for people. And I want you to know if you have family, friends, loved ones in that faraway country with little no concern, God has not forgotten them. God loved them enough that he sent his son, same as he did for you. I prayed with scores of people at altars like this over the years. And people come, the majority of the prayer requests, my boy, my daughter, my mom. And the prayer that I very often have with them is, yes, we pray specifically for them. But here's what I know. I know that God knows them so well, he knows how many hairs they have in their head. He knows what needs to happen in their life. So we say a prayer similar to this. God, would you begin to do stuff in their life that they can't explain? Would you do stuff in their life, God, that they can't give anybody else any credit for, 
that it's all stuff that you could have done? We've seen God do miracles with that prayer, have we not? We've seen him do incredible things in our own family when we've said, God, take all of this and show them that it was you that did it. Then when they come back to us and say things like, whoa, thanks for praying. You guys are awesome. No, 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 no. We prayed that God would do what only he can do so that you'd see him, not us. God's word tells us that we are the plan to reach the lost. So I ask the question, do you care about what God cares about? God is gentle when he draws people. Had he strong-armed me, I would have pushed back. But his spirit gently drew me through a number of set of circumstances and people that just loved me, that didn't correct me, didn't criticize me, didn't find fault in me. We even had one relative come and stay with our kids while we went out drinking. Hello. We had made no confession to serve Christ. We hadn't even been to church. And they came and stayed so we could go out. They showed us the love of Jesus when we didn't even recognize what it was. We just knew they were church folk. We are called to be Jesus with skin to those in our lives. Because time is short and eternity is long. And we have to get on it. We as a people, I'm not saying you Portville, I'm saying we as a people have to get on it. We can't sit on our blessed assurance any longer. Because time is short and eternity is long. Your purpose statement, your values all speaks to the same thing. About people. About loving God and loving people. Caring for each other and reaching the lost. Being forward-focused, unlike any other time in our life. Pastors, thank you for leading this church with a forward focus, knowing exactly who God has called you to be. Thank you, congregation, for following them as they follow Christ. It doesn't get much better than that. When they're willing to follow you as you follow Jesus, congregation, as I said, some of the most powerful prayers that I've seen is, God, you know them. Not them. We're back to the lost. So that they can't mistake it, God. I could tell you, as I said, countless stories. God opened their eyes so that they could see him. Don't let your your pride get in the way and tell them how it is. Just pray for them. And tell them you're praying for them. Tell them that you believe that God's going to pull the dots together in your life because I know God. Yeah, I know, but if you knew the circ- but I, it doesn't matter because I know God and he knows the circumstances. And if we tell them, if we tell them, if we tell them that we love them, even in their mess, we tell them we love them. Maybe, just maybe, they'll be willing to trust that our Jesus loves them too. Maybe, just maybe, that if we continue to tell them we're praying for them, I love you, Jesus loves you, he's got a plan for you. We don't need to preach at him. God does the work. Scripture says that the Spirit draws them, doesn't it? The Spirit draws them. So I want to pray for you, congregation. 
I want to pray for you relative to those in your life. Spouses, neighbors, kids. Whoever is in your life that doesn't know Jesus, that God would use you as you stay forward focused on why God has called you in the first place. Let me pray for you. Bow your heads, please. Father, I pray for these precious people, for this precious congregation. God, that you would give them courage and strength to be Jesus with skin, to family and to friends and to loved ones. God, that they would be kind and loving and reaching out to them and telling them that they're being prayed for. God, that you would pour your love into them, that the grace and the mercy of God would ooze out of them to each other, to the lost, to their leaders. God, that you would bless them. God, open their eyes to things in the spiritual realm that they've never seen before, that they would see you working in places that they've often wondered, are you? God, show them. Bring alive in their hearts a desire to be Jesus with skin with the people in their life. We'll thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. I would like to pray for the Larsons and the Lewicks. Can you come up here? I don't know what the board has planned after this, but I'd like all of you to come up here if you could. These are some pretty awesome people. You know, and I was thinking about this when I was preparing this. I've known you a long time. Marquette. Yeah, I was with, wasn't City on a Hill then, right? We were at, at uh, correct, correct, Urban Bible Training Center, Urban Ministry Center. And Mark said, hey, can you come up and talk to us about what's going on there? And I was like, sure, I think you were one of the first services I ever did. Hope I didn't embarrass you too badly. <laughs> and these guys I've known. I know Amy since she was knee high to a grasshopper. Long time. Evangel. Yeah, yeah. These are some good people. Can you thank Jesus with a hand clap? I want to pray for you. Congregation, if you'd extend a hand if you could and pray with us for them. Lord Jesus, I thank you for these leaders. I thank you, God, for the men and women of strength and courage. God, that you would continue to strengthen them and encourage them in some of the difficult things that they do have to walk through. God, give them courage to be the men and the women in in calling and leading this congregation in these last days before you return. God, we truly believe that time is short and eternity is long and there's so much work to do. God, that you would use them. God, that as they follow you, that this congregation would follow them with hands on the plow and never looking back. Father, that you would meet their every need, that you would meet this congregation's every need. God, that their families would be financially blessed that their health would experience a touch from God, that their children would follow you and raise their children to follow you. God, that you'd put a hedge of protection around them physically, emotionally, and spiritually. God, that no danger or harm would come to them in any way. 
And God, we would ask, just like the song that we sing quite often these days, let your blessing and your favor be on them. Upon everything that they put their hands to, bless them, bless their children, bless their children's children. God, let your anointing continue to rest on them. That the grace and the mercy of Jesus would be so, they'd be so full of the grace and mercy of God. That it would touch lives unlike any other time in their lives. We thank you. We commit them into your care. We thank you for who they are. That you have given this congregation, that you've given their families the men and women that they are. God, we thank you for them. We pray that continued blessing on them in Jesus' name. Amen.